as uh, we, we take a look at this topic for today, you know, I've got to tell you that I, I'm somebody that really enjoys um, board games, you know, things like that. And uh, now Linda, my wife, she, she doesn't like board games, so we really don't play board games very often. But uh, when, when we do, I mean, the things that I enjoy about it are you kind of know the rules, you know. You got certain rules, you play within the rules and figure out how to win the game. You got this interaction with the other people around the, the board and, and things like that. But in real life, you know, while the, the rules in a board game are not supposed to change, in real life they do. And uh, change is a reality. I, I mean, we, we live in changing times. Seems like only yesterday you didn't talk about things like doggy doo-doo on your shoes in church, you know, things like that. And um, Pastor Tim, Pastor Tim is gone this week. He's, he's gone on vacation this week, and he's moving his three kids to their respective colleges. Now, when you've got um, twins as your youngest, that's going to represent some pretty significant change for him this week. Uh, you know, I told him before he left, Tim, I really hope that you find your vacation to be a moving experience. <laughs> uh, you know, he's going to come home to be an empty nester, and, and boy, I've been there. I know what that's like, and, and that, um, it's like, boy, somebody does change the rules. All of a sudden now, you're relating your, your kids in a different way, you know, once they leave home. It's, it's, uh, it's something that's different. Uh, there's all kinds of things that we can see in life. As you get older, uh, you know, times are changing, and and as people uh, get into their later years of life, uh, people that used to be very social find that many of their friends are no longer around, and their loved ones are not there. Uh, people who uh, began their work career and, and found that uh, as they began their work career that it was difficult to find a job because everybody wanted experience, but as they get older, find that uh, experience may not matter as much anymore, that it's youth that people want. Uh, you know, somebody changed the rules. There's all kinds of rules out there that seem to be changing. We live in a changing society, a changing culture where things that seem to be right 10 years ago are now considered to be wrong, and those things that were considered to be wrong 10 years ago are now considered to be right. The question is, what do you do when somebody changes the rules? What do you do? Well, today, to try to get at that as we wrap up our series here uh, that we've been uh, preaching on all summer about these Old Testament characters and learning from them, and with the this, with this sermon series, What Do You Do When? Uh, we're going to take a look at the character of Daniel uh, from the Old Testament book that bears his name. And we know a lot of things about Daniel. Some of the best-known things about Daniel are things like, yes, the lion's den, that there were lions there in, in Babylon. But before the lion's den, Daniel had another challenge on his hands that might be a little bit lesser known earlier in the book. And uh, there Daniel and his friends were exiles from Jerusalem, living in Babylon. And if you ever think that times are changing for you, you, know, you can pick up the book of Daniel, you know, take a look at Daniel and, and what he's got going on in his life, and then learn from him how to face our own changes. First of all, what I can see there in, in that uh, story from Daniel that uh, we, we read earlier uh, is the importance of accepting reality. As you face the changing things that are going on in your life when somebody changes the rules, it's important to accept reality. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to like reality. It doesn't mean that you have to embrace it or, or, or even want to preserve it, you know, that, that new reality. But it's important to accept reality. 
For Daniel and his friends, they were forcibly relocated from Jerusalem to Babylon. And Jerusalem was a place that was friendly to his faith. It was a place that where Daniel could uh, experience an environment where the government and, and uh, uh, all around him were all of the things that could in, endorse and encourage a person to be a follower in the Lord. But in reality, now as he moved to Babylon, that wasn't the case. Now he moved into different kind of territory where um, in this place, it made even the unfaithfulness in, that was going on in Jerusalem seem like faithfulness. Because here in Babylon, they worshiped many gods, and none of them really was the Lord. There they worshiped gods with names like Tiamat, Enlil, Enki, Ishtar, Ashur, and the greatest of all was Marduk, who had a beautiful temple in the city of Babylon. The people operated under the authority of their great king, who was one of the greatest kings in all of the ancient world, Nebuchadnezzar. And his name actually is a name after one of these gods, Nebo. Uh, it was Nebuchadnezzar's name. So it's in this alien environment where Daniel now finds himself forcibly placed into the service of King Nebuchadnezzar. The Babylonians, like the Assyrians before them, had this policy where they would relocate the people that they conquered. They would exile them to a different land for the sake of controlling them because if they were uprooted from their natural roots and things, then they were less likely to rebel. And they would also take the cream of the crop, the best of the best, and they would bring them to Babylon to serve the king. And Daniel and his friends were among those people. And now he was there with the king in his service and he received from the king instructions that were contrary to the instructions that the Lord had given. Therefore, he had a choice. What will I do? Will I obey the king or will I obey the Lord? Times are changing. But Daniel accepted his new reality because by accepting your new reality, what can happen is you then can deal with it. Yeah, it's all kinds of fun to complain. But it doesn't do a whole lot of good. We can shake our fist at changing times. We can change our fist that somebody changed the rules and things like that. But that's not going to put us into a place where we're going to be able to engage brain and do something about it. Instead, instead what Daniel did was he accepted his new reality that this was not Jerusalem anymore. Instead, it was Babylon. Now what am I going to do? The other day I, was, uh, I, I saw this uh, clip from uh, the Wizard of Oz movie. Now, in Wizard of Oz, there is a line that I think a lot of people like to quote, myself included, uh, that is probably one of the most famous lines in the movie. Any, any, just shout them out. What, what guesses might that be from Wizard of Oz? You're not in Kansas anymore. Exactly, exactly. And, and Daniel realized, I mean, that's, that's a statement of acceptance if I ever heard one. And Daniel realized he was not in Kansas anymore. He was not in Jerusalem anymore. Instead, now he was in Babylon where he had a new boss. He had a new king. What am I going to do about that? Acceptance is that starting point for, obje for objectively and effectively responding to your changing circumstances. Secondly, it's important to align your worth. 
for Ashpenaz, now Ashpenaz was, it sounds like kind of a strange name, uh, Daniel's friends, I mean, they get the coolest names in the Bible. I mean, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then we've got these other names that get in there. Apparently, Daniel's new name wasn't so catchy, so he continued to go by Daniel. But here we've got this guy, Ashpenaz, who was the uh, chief of the advisors to the king. And he was the guy that Daniel and his friends were placed under his authority and, and, and his care. So for Ashpenaz, who was a Babylonian, he, he had his, his, his value, his self-worth was tied to what it was that the king thought about him. You know, the king was king of his life in many different aspects. Ashpenaz lived to please the king. And it was expected that all of the court officials in Ashpenaz's care would follow what the king said, especially when it came to things like their diet. Now, this was kind of a, had to be received as kind of a strange request to Ashpenaz when Daniel came to him and said, hey, Ashpenaz, how about if we have a test here and um, we eat something different than what is set before us on the king's table? Because this was one of the great perks of being in the king's court, was to be able to sit at the king's table and eat the king's food and be able to share in all of the rich fare that the king had to offer. And here Daniel didn't want to do that. And Ashpenaz was a little bit concerned because, after all, the king could have him killed, which is a powerful motivator if he found that Ashpenaz was somehow shirking in his duties. He was not living up to the uh, orders that he had been given. So he was a little bit reluctant to go ahead with Daniel's plan. But for Daniel, it was a crossroads. It was a crossroads. He, he needed to decide, would he live to please the king as Ashpenaz was doing, or would he live to please the Lord? Which way would he go? Another way of putting this would be, who do you fear? Ashpenaz feared the king. Whose opinion of you matters the most, the Lord's or someone else's, the Lord's or society around you, people at work, members of your family, your neighbors? Whose opinion matters the most? For Daniel, what the Lord thought about him was the most important thing above all else. But for us, we, it's, it's easy to find ourselves in a position where we have our own king's King Nebuchadnezzar's, you know, be, a, be, a, be that a thing or a, a person, whatever it is, somebody that is, or something that is vying for that which is dictating really what we do and how we respond to change. Nebuchadnezzar, like a lot of our Nebuchadnezzars, was right there. He was right in front of them. His power was everywhere. You could see it everywhere. It was tangible all around them in the magnificent buildings in Babylon. Uh, the commerce in the streets, the soldiers in the barracks, the guards at the palace. It was everywhere. Yes, Nebuchadnezzar was one to be feared by all. And the Lord? Well, the Lord's an unseen God. He seems sometimes as distant as Jerusalem is from Babylon. It would be far easier instead to make Nebuchadnezzar your king instead of the Lord your king. Nebuchadnezzar was powerful at the moment. But what he's going to experience are, are certain things that will demonstrate that he is not really the one who's in charge here. He is going to receive a dream 
And this dream is so troubling to him that, that he calls in his court officials, Daniel among them, to say, Here, I've had this, this terrible dream, and I need you to interpret it for me. But to make sure that the interpretation that you're giving me is correct, what I want you to do is to tell me the dream and then tell me the interpretation. And the, and the court officials say, hey, how can we possibly do that? Nobody can possibly do that. How are we going to know your dream? But there's only one who could possibly know the dream, and that would be the one who's connected to the one who gave him the dream in the first place. And that one would be Daniel. Daniel knows the dream because he's connected to the Lord. And he looks to the Lord as the one who is his king, his authority, and he's the one who's able to do it. Then Nebuchadnezzar goes through a period of insanity, seven years of insanity, and finally he winds up dying. He cannot control the insanity. He cannot control his own death. In the end, God still remains. The Lord still remains. So which one is more powerful? The Lord who sends those dreams, the Lord who remains, the Lord who is there, the Lord who causes kingdoms to rise and to fall. Daniel know, knew which one was the more powerful. Daniel was the one who knew where he should find his worth, his value. And wherever it is that you find your worth and your value, that is where you're going to find your motivation to act and to do things and to respond to changes in life when they change the rules. If you get your worth and your value from society, well, then you're going to head down that road. If you get your worth and your value from the Lord, you're probably going to head down a different road. And Daniel got his from the Lord. Third, determine what changes good and what changes bad. Change itself is simply a part of life. It's neither good nor bad. You can have good change and you can have bad change. Some change is good, some change isn't. If you're laid off from your job, that's likely to be a bad change, something that you're going to want to try to find uh, a remedy for. If you receive the medical diagnosis that you have cancer, that is not good change. And you're likely going to find and, and look for a remedy for that, some kind of a response to that. And uh, divorce, you know, is something that is a big-time change. Uh, I've, I guess I've never known anybody that's gone through a divorce that hasn't found it to be a painful experience. Cultural change can be either good or bad depending upon what it is. But any change that leads you away from the Lord is bad change. Any change that leads you into a dry valley in your faith is bad change and need to be work, it needs to be worked against. It needs to have some kind of a response. Daniel faced bad change. He faced some bad change. The king wanted Daniel and his friends to do things that would mean disobeying God, and that is not good change. It's the kind of change that needs to be addressed. It needs a different solution. So Daniel proposed that test. Let us obey the Lord and see what happens. Let us try this, Ashpenaz, and see what happens. Now around you in this world, you're going to find bad change. But you, as agents of God, can be people who respond to that bad change by identifying it as bad change and be people that can enter into situations and make a difference. You can make a difference in the life of the people around you who are experiencing change that is not good as you represent God in those kinds of situations. But there are also good changes as well as bad changes. You get that promotion at work that you've been wanting, good change. That guy that you really like finally asked you out, good change. You get that all clear report on your cancer, 
could change. Your kids, and especially your grandkids that you hardly ever see are coming to visit. Good change. Let's hope it's good change. But most of all, Jesus is in your life. And when Jesus is in your life, there is good change. Now, if you go through life and you, and you say that you're a follower of Jesus and your faith does not grow, it does not change, it does not change you, in that gospel lesson for today, for example, we, we heard about how faith is supposed to produce fruits. You know, it's like you're a tree that is growing, and that's faith. If your faith is not growing, if it is not producing, if it is not doing something, something is wrong because faith is supposed to be something that produces change. Jesus in your life produces change, and it's good change. It's wonderful change. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Jesus means change, and that change is very good. Just ask people who have experienced the change that Jesus makes when He came into their life. Ask Zacchaeus. Ask Saul, soon to be Paul. Ask the Philippian jailer. These are people that Jesus came into their life, and they were never the same again. I mean, Jesus means change. So if you oppose change, it means you can also wind up opposing good change, the change that Jesus brings, the change that Jesus makes. So don't reject change just simply because it's change, but instead discern, is it good change or is it bad change? Then remember that in the midst of change, in the midst of times when it seems as though somebody has changed the rules, that God is still on His throne. That has not changed. God is still on His throne. When someone changes the rules, it can seem life-threatening. It can seem like life is spinning out of control. That's when it's most important to remember that God is still on His throne. God didn't somehow go from powerful creator of the universe to powerless. He didn't go from that God of the universe to a wet towel. No, God is still powerful. God is still on His throne. We still know how this story ends. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, which means that He can be relied on. He is that rock. You can rely on Him. He does not change. Somebody's not going to change the rules about Jesus. Now, Daniel persuaded Ashpenaz to go ahead and to allow him to uh, conduct this experiment and to obey God and see what happens, which in and of itself I think is an absolute miracle that Ashpenaz would go ahead and say, yeah, go ahead and do this because... He could have said, no dice, I'm not going to cross the king like that. I'm not going to take the risk. But no, he did. It's got God's fingerprints all over it. But what happened was this, it was that either Daniel and his friends could say, okay, I'm going to let the king provide for us with his table, or I'm going to let God provide for us. And God provided for them so that they actually, at the end of this test, appeared better than the ones who didn't rely on God and have God provide for them. God provided and in the midst of change, in the midst of times, where it seems like somebody changes the rules, God is there for you. God will provide for you. God is still on His throne. So when somebody changes the rules, hang on to the one who never changes. Hang on to Him and be guided by Him.